0: What is the Zen Founder Podcast about? Such a good question. It is a really broad interpretation of what mental health and mental wellness looks like. So for example, last week I talked about sexuality and parenting. Other times we've talked about things like ADHD, psychedelics, the dynamics of co-founder relationships, how to have difficult conversations with your team. The challenge is that the range of aspects of our lives that shape our mental well-being is incredibly broad. In fact, it encompasses our whole lives. So the range of relevant conversations is frankly somewhat endless, Um, but always coming back to the same, I think, very simple invitation to take very careful care of ourselves, of our inner worlds. Knowing that that is the source from which much of our entrepreneurial success, our creativity, our communication, our capacity to love, all of that wonderful juicy stuff comes from inside of us. So whether you're new to the podcast or you've been listening for a long time, I will acknowledge it can sometimes be a wild ride of like, ooh, what's she going to do this week? But I do think if you listen carefully, you'll find some uh, clear threads that you can follow through each of the specific or individual conversations. Today's subject is a bit of a heavy one. It, well, it is the heaviest of subjects, uh, in my opinion. Suicidal thoughts and feelings are uh, fairly common among adults and among adolescents, something that often feels quite scary to talk about. And I don't think we often have a lot of tools for how to engage conversations within ourselves or with those that we love when we or they are having really significant thoughts about ending our life. I talk about it somewhat regularly on the podcast because, uh, of course, I think it's essentially important. I began the podcast after Aaron Schwartz died by suicide, and it felt central to me to have thoughtful and open conversations about suicidal ideation and suicidal feelings to try to help entrepreneurs find their footing when those things happen, when those thoughts pop into our minds. And of course, um, conversations about suicide have been a pretty significant part of my life for the last few years after I lost my brother four years ago to suicide. So, if you've read Touching Two Worlds, my second book, or heard me speak anytime in the past couple of years, uh, you've probably heard significant mention of what life is like for family members after someone has died by suicide. So this is a very long intro, but I just want to give you very, very fair warning, clear consent that this conversation is about suicide, suicidal ideation and how suicide affects family members. And it may be too heavy of a conversation for you today, for where you are, for what you're doing. Maybe not the one I would listen to in the car with the kids. But I will say that even if it doesn't feel particularly relevant to you today, It may be content to just sort of file away for a time in the future when it may be relevant, God forbid, but the probability is high that at some point you will be in a conversation with someone who is really struggling with um, a decision around whether to stay around here on the earth. So maybe a thing to give some thought to, and then again, just sort of file away for when, if it's needed. All right, we're going to cue the intro music here and uh, consider yourself um, consenting to continue listening. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So the reason that the intro was so long, the reason that I am so careful about letting people know, hey, I'm going to talk about suicide and suicidal thoughts is because I do feel like it's not a topic that you want to venture into accidentally. I think it's something that you have to choose a time and a place to think about. You have to have a level of focus or emotional calm. Um, You know, it's just not for the sort of everyday consumption. I also am very well acquainted with an aspect of psychology that we call vicarious trauma. And this is where people can experience really very significant uh, pain Uh, sometimes even pathology, like even symptoms as a result of hearing of other people's trauma or heartache or painful experiences. So I have decided to speak quite openly about the experiences that my family had related to my brother's suicide. My book, Touching Two Worlds, goes into quite a lot of detail about the events that unfolded surrounding his death. But I always want to do that with choice. I want to know that people are entering that story with choice and also know that they can exit that story at any point with choice. Conversations about suicide do get right at the heart of some of our worst fears. Our very worst fears for our loved ones, certainly for our children. And in some ways, our very worst fears for ourselves, that something will happen or we'll find ourselves in a state of life where we experience such great stuckness that we feel that the only viable exit is a hard reset, is to end our lives, to stop and, you know, to enter the great unknown of whatever happens or doesn't happen next. And so because it gets at our most significant fears, Our deepest failures, our deepest hurts, our deepest vulnerability to heartache, it is always a very thwarted topic to talk about. Journalists have a difficult time reporting on it. People don't know how to tell the stories of people who died by suicide because they don't know if it's okay to tell the truth about what happened. There's always concern that telling the story in a certain way will be to give implicit permission there's certainly some evidence that suicides happen in clusters, like they happen in in high schools or they happen in communities. So um, something happens psychologically in the minds who are vulnerable to suicide when, you know, another person dies in that way that um, maybe makes it feel a little bit easier to take action on some of the thoughts and feelings that they were having. So I don't diminish that as really very dangerous. That's why, again, I'm super careful about how and when and where I discuss this and with the idea that there's as much consent as possible. The reason that this is top of mind for me right now is because this week marks the last time that I saw my brother alive. March 17th, the day that this podcast is released, uh, is my mother's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. But as such, it was the last day that our family uh, gathered together my husband and children and I and my mom and my brother Dave. So we had brunch together on my mom's birthday and my mom and Dave went to a museum. So it's the last day I have photos of him. It's the last day I, you know, got to hug him. And he died about six weeks later uh, by suicide. And I think the thing that I want to say is that I know a lot of people have thoughts and feelings related to, you know, my people would be better off without me. I'm a burden to my family, my kids think I'm an asshole. my wife doesn't like me, whatever the particular story, when people are in a place of stuckness and of darkness, it's really easy to weave in a narrative about how others would be better off if you weren't here. It is, in fact, almost always part of the thought process uh, for people who have a significant suicide attempt or for people who are in the throes of a really desperate depression. And I want to say really, I don't know, honestly, I guess, from my perspective, is that, of course, the, the living will continue to go on. You know, those of us who feel really bound to our lives and have decided to be in our lives, we will continue to be in motion and doing things and building things. And hopefully, through a lot of grit and grace, recover the capacity to love deeply and to heal from the loss of that death. But I think it's also important to tell the truth about the fact that that loss always leaves scars. It leaves all of these little landmines scattered throughout the calendar, scattered throughout shared locations, you know, places that you spend time with the person who died. So even those who pursue the really, really hard work of as much healing as possible, you know, of healthy grieving are Confronted by experiences like I've been experiencing this week, of recognizing this is the last week that I saw my brother alive. And it's also my mom's birthday. And so now my mom's birthday has this shadow over it. It has become a grief story. It's become a story of loss, become a story of what if, rather than a simple celebration of her. And of course, I don't think my brother intended that when he took the action that he did. I don't blame him for the fact that like I have to sort of sort through that emotional nuance now, but I want to say really clearly and unequivocally, you don't get to remove yourself from the story without every other person in your story being deeply affected. So this, this sort of distorted rationale, this lie that we tell ourselves of they'd be better off without me is indeed a distorted lie. There is no way that anyone exits this planet, no matter how many friends, family members, connections you have. There's no way that people get to exit without leaving huge collateral damage behind them, huge holes, broken hearts and broken minds. So this leads me to another conversation that I've often had with people who are in the throes of suicidal thoughts, which is something like... Given how much I'm suffering, should I stay for them? Should I stay for the other people? The other people who, you know, seemingly don't really appreciate me anyway. And honestly, my answer is yes. Stay for them. Stay so they're not permanently f***ed up by your decision. Stay so that they can enjoy birthdays and springtimes and holidays and walks around places that you enjoy together without being haunted. Stay as long as you can. Even if you're suffering significantly, stay for the other people. As a psychologist, I've, I've said that to people over the course of my career, and it always feels like, I'm going to be honest, like a little bit manipulative. And maybe it is, because what I'm doing when I say that is I'm trying to buy time. I'm trying to find some kind of psychological leverage that kind of keeps people in place long enough for a while until some work can be done to help unstick them, help them feel unstuck, to help give them a little space to heal and shift and change, or maybe even completely rewrite their lives. You know, I can't see the future. I wish I could. I would charge more for my services. (laughs) Just kidding. But there's certainly enough signals in the financial and other worlds around us to indicate that there may be some significant instability coming. And that's why I feel like this conversation is as important as ever, because suicides among men, especially, probably also increasingly among um, professionally successful women, but economic instability, failure, unemployment, significant loss of wealth, when put on top of maybe a level of depression, burnout, and substance abuse, that becomes a bit of a recipe for people to have suicidal thoughts and feelings and and potentially take suicidal actions. So I watch the Silicon Valley Bank implosion, obviously as an entrepreneur who takes care of entrepreneurs, who has a bunch of uh, money at the bank, but also I watch it as a psychologist, knowing that there are... Uh, Stories of desperation and stuck, stuckness that are unfolding um, in people's lives. And I think entrepreneurs carry heavily this responsibility to be providers, this responsibility to uh, provide jobs for people, to provide money, finances, wealth for their families We essentially use our ingenuity and our hustle to make money and a lot of people rely on that. So when there is economic instability, we feel that we've let everyone down. We've let our family down, we've let our kids down, we've let our employees down. And that's where we can begin to tread into the murky water of they'd be better off without me. They don't need me, I've failed them. They'd be better off without me. And once again, this other slippery slope of maybe I'll just remove myself from the story because I'm in shame, I'm horrified, I'm devastated, my life's f-ed up and I don't have anything meaningful or significant to offer those around me. And that kind of a thought process, that kind of a story that creates, gets created in our heads, uh, guys, is super dangerous, it's super dangerous. So I hope you will hear me when I tell you It's a lie. It's not true. You are needed. You are meaningful. You are valuable. You do have something significant to offer. And for the life of an entrepreneur, money's going to come and go, period. And that's part of the ride that you signed up for. So don't quit when the ride is at its lowest point, you know, when your team is behind. And if your people, if your family, if your team, if your employees, seem to legitimately not value you as a human when the chips are down. Um, I think we should probably work on getting you some new humans. (laughs) Like (laughs) there are better people out there, I promise. So I guess the main takeaway is just really be on guard against those thoughts in your head. When you start to go there, when you start to think people would be better off without me, I'm not a value add, really attune your bullshit detector to those kinds of thoughts and stories. They aren't true. They don't serve you. They're a lie. And frankly, it's also probably helpful to talk to someone about them because some combination of the variables should probably change so that you don't feel vulnerable to thinking that way. I hope you will stay. I hope you'll stay for the people in your life. I hope you stay for me. I hope you stick around. If nothing else, just long enough that you you can figure out a better situation. I think of my brother Dave often. I think of him fondly, like with such love and tenderness. At this time, I'm very, very rarely angry at him or feel like I, you know, am wronged by him. But there are these moments, the moments where it feels like some joy has been stolen because my mom's birthday now has this other story that... I don't really want it to have. So I'd like to prevent that from happening for other people. Thanks for jumping into a pretty heavy topic with me. If it's raised questions for you, or it feels like there's just unanswered thoughts, uh, feel free to drop me a note. You can do it through the Zen Founder website or the internet more generally. (laughs) I'm not hard to find. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast.